Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Dr. Jennifer Daniels, and welcome to Healing with Dr. Daniels. It is Tuesday, November 3rd, and it's a little late start, but we're going to go for our regular hour today. And today's topic is the seven deadliest diagnoses. As many of you may know, um, as many as 107,000 uh, United States citizens died as a result of taking properly prescribed medications, according to the Journal of the American Medical Association. And tonight, I'm going to take a look at these numbers, which were revealed uh, in the early 2000s, and update them for you, and look a little deeper to see uh, what's going on with these, and what uh, and what you can do to protect yourself. So, first of all, I have to say this is some pretty, uh, you know, striking information, and so of course, you know, we've got. Be careful, you know, what sources we take a look at here. So for the sake of today's show, I've limited myself to uh, medical sources such as the Food and Drug Administration, the National Institutes of Health, and, of course, a Huffington Report, as well as a couple of medically-sponsored websites. So really mainstream stuff. Um, so we can kind of really use what information is already available and what information is out there. So, uh, none of this, you know, alternative medicine stuff, whatever. We're just going to get the straight poop, straight information from standard sources and see what they've got to say uh, about it. All right. So, first of all, we've got to just want to uh, orient ourselves. You're listening to Healing with Dr. Daniels. And as always, please visit vitalitycapsules.com. And today, you can get your free gift, which is non-antibiotic solutions to 10 common infections. And that's at vitalitycapsules.com forward slash remedies. As always, welcome your calls and questions. Please uh, call in at 213-943-3577. Okay. So... Uh, so a little background, as many of you know, I went to a United States medical school, and uh, at that time, during medical school, during residency, 1983 to more or less, uh, sorry, 1979 to 1983 was medical school, I observed, you know, a fair number of deaths. Then, of course, there's one year of residency, four years of uh, working in a remote location, and I noticed more deaths. And so what I'm going to do today is share with you uh, statistics that are presented uh, to the public and then kind of compare that or square that up with my particular observations. Okay. So we're going to start off by looking at uh, the high number of this, or what was prescribed of dangerous prescription drugs. And this is an article by the uh, Huffington, Huffington Post. And, and it says, starts out with, for the past hundred years, car crashes have been the nation's leading cause of accidental death. Now, for the first time, more Americans are dying from prescription pills, including 10 very popular medications. And so... When I look at these 10 top medications, they're basically two particular classes and don't even represent the majority of the deaths I personally witnessed. So I'm going to talk about these two classes, my take on it, what I did in my medical practice to minimize the death from these drugs, and what you can do. Okay, so of these top 10, four of them are pain medications. And... According to this article, 15,000 deaths, or 40% of all deaths due to drugs, uh, occurred 
from pain medications. The most likely victim is, drumroll, white males. Now, medicine or, or healthcare has a way of doing this. It likes to split people up along gender lines, along racial lines, when actually the real risk factor has nothing to do with either, but is really a factor of a certain cultural practices or habits. And so, if we, if we look at uh, white males as the most likely victims, the other thing that we can see then is it might possibly correlate with access to medical care. In other words, white males are more likely to have insurance, more likely to be able to afford to see the doctor. And that's where these uh, drugs come from. And so, it appears to be purely a uh, medical risk. So let's take a look at these drugs. What are they? Top 10. Numero uno is Xanax. And this is a benzodiazepine or a sedative. Then we have Oxycontin coming in at number two, which is a pain reliever. Then we have Vicodin coming in at number three, another pain reliever. We have Methadone, another pain reliever, supposedly uh, to treat addiction to number two or three above. Then we have Clonopin, another uh, a sedative. Ativan, a sedative. Morphine, another sedative. Now, get this, morphine is down at number seven. Morphine, a natural narcotic, is behind Oxycontin, Vicodin, and Methadone, which are synthetic narcotics. There's a big clue right there. I remember way back when, in the old days, uh, like about the 70s, morphine was a big, uh, everyone was afraid of morphine. Like, oh my God, this is terrible. And so, of course, the drug companies were going to save us all with synthetic drugs. And, um, yes, we do have synthetic alternatives, but it looks like they're even more deadly. Then Seroquel, an antipsychotic class, also uses a sedative, though. Uh, Ambien, a sleeping pill sedative. And Valium, uh, a sleeping pill or sedative. So what we have here is we have Oxycontin for pain, Vicodin for pain, Methadone for pain, Morphine for pain. All these narcotics and in the top 10. And then the rest are all basically sedatives. And so these are two classes. So if you're diagnosed as having chronic pain and your doctor is treating you for chronic pain, then you have a huge uh, chance of becoming a statistic. Which statistic? Statistic of one of those people killed by modern medicine. Now, again, as I mentioned before, these are not murders. Absolutely not murders. Why? Because murder is when your death is caused or assisted by someone who does not have government authorization. So, because the doctor, the person prescribing the drug, has government authorization, and because the drug is approved by the FDA, which is the government, proper authorization, then that means there is, this cannot be murder. It's not murder. So you need to understand that this is not murder. No chance of criminal prosecution, and therefore uh, the perpetrator will never be brought to justice. I just want to make that real clear, that there is no recourse. The only recourse here, if any, is there might be a modest malpractice payment to your survivors should they persist in litigation. And that is not going to bring you back. Now, what did I do in my medical practice to avoid uh, these deaths? First and foremost, I simply refused to prescribe these medications. I said, look, this is it. I am not going to prescribe Oxycontin, Vicodin, Methadone, or Morphine. If you need that kind of pain relief, you need a different doctor. Now, why did I do this? A couple of reasons. First reason is during all my years of medical training and practice, uh, prior to opening my own private practice, 
I've not seen one, not one individual whose pain was relieved by these drugs. So people were taking the drugs and taking the drugs and they kept having pain, they kept taking the drugs. And then of course, after a while, the doctor prescribing the drug would determine that the patient was the problem. The patient was an addict. The patient was engaging in drug-seeking behavior, all the while, of course, ignoring that it was the doctor that prescribed the medication, recommended it, encouraged the person to take it, and literally created the drug addict. And so since I've not ever known people to benefit from those drugs, I simply made up my mind, for that reason, I was not going to prescribe them. Now, another reason is I had heard that doctors' offices were a target for criminal activity. When I say criminal activity, what I mean is that people would break into doctors' offices for drugs. And so, of course, I asked, what kind of drugs? And what kind of drugs? Answer, narcotics. And so I said, aha, that's easy. I won't be a target because I won't have any narcotics in the, in the office. And so I instructed all the drug reps not ninety seconds. leave me any narcotic samples because I wasn't going to use them. And so uh, I had a medical practice where I did not prescribe these drugs and did not hand out any samples, and I did not accept any samples. So that took care of the uh, possibility of any death in my medical practice due to narcotics. Now, what happened to these patients who came in, oh my gosh, suffering from pain? 60 seconds. Maybe it was a car accident, maybe... Uh, you know, some other type of uh, trauma or whatever that caused their pain, um, I would simply suggest that they stop eating pain-causing foods, stop pain-causing habits like alcohol and cigarettes. The worst pain-causing foods are uh, sugar and meats, and add pain-relieving things their diet, like more water and more vegetables, and even more important, uh, having more bowel movements. This may not sound dramatic, but uh, over a period of 10 years of medical Ten practice, seconds. there were only two patients, two patients whose pain was not relieved by these very uh, unglamorous methods. So that got rid of the pain issue. What about the sedatives? We're talking uh, Xanax, Clonopin, Ativan, Seroquel, Ambien, and Valium. Now, I'm probably showing my age here, but when I entered medical practice in 1990, Ambien was not yet available. The other drugs, uh, I decided that I would not uh, prescribe them either because I observed that people did not get good results with them, number one. And number two, they were unable to stop these drugs. Uh, throughout my training in medical school, residency, people would come in and they would be crying and complaining. Oh, doctor, I want to stop taking this drug. How can I stop taking this drug? And without exception, uh, medically, there is nothing to offer to help them stop these drugs. Maybe you could get the dose reduced, but really nothing to help them stop the drug. Now, over time, in private practice, using the natural methods I described, I was actually able to get people who had come to me on narcotics to get them off their narcotics and to get several people off of their sedatives. Now, with Ambien, that came out after I was in practice. And we doctors were, to put it plainly, lied to. We were told that Ambien was not addictive. In fact, when Ambien first came out, it was not even a scheduled substance. You could write for Ambien as easily as an antibiotic, 
put all the refills you want on it. It was just, we doctors were told, this stuff is just as safe as a glass of water. And, of course, it turned out not to be true. It turned out that Ambien was highly addictive and caused a tremendous number of deaths, depending on who you believe. There's some who say uh, it has been responsible for as many as half a million deaths uh, since it was first introduced in the 90s. So what did I do? Well, initially, I believed the drug reps, but I said to myself, hmm, if it really does put people to sleep, then it must be a sedative, and there must be an addictive quality. So I made up my mind that I would keep an eye on this. Sure enough, people would come in after a month of taking uh, Ambien, and I noticed they had a little stumble to their walk. And so I, I call it the Ambien Shuffle. And so if someone came in with the Ambien Shuffle, I would stop their Ambien. And not only did I do that, but once I observed the Ambien Shuffle, I stopped using it. So I stopped using it, and I was able to taper off all but one patient off of Ambien. And that one patient, I was able to get down to a quarter of a pill fewer than 10 times a month. So that is what I recommend. So the first thing is don't even get started with these drugs. If the doctor offers you these, realize that you're going down the wrong path here. Um, just don't do it. Now, for pain, um, what I began recommending in my medical practice is if the pain was topical, if you could point to it, if you could touch it, then I'd have the person apply turpentine, and boom, the pain would be gone. Or they didn't like turpentine, some people didn't. Then I would recommend Vicks Vapor Rub. And once you discover the effectiveness of those, you'll see in your drugstore, sometimes your grocery store, certainly your drugstore, there's a whole section filled with salves you can rub on to get rid of uh, muscle pain, bone pain, and skeletal pain. So there's really no place for these pain medications in the life of someone who does not plan to become addicted. That would be the basic... Uh, that's the long and the short of it. Now, these drugs, these 10 drugs, actually, as I said, only represent two classes. There are five more classes of drugs that are absolutely notorious for causing death, for killing people. And so I'm going to share with you um, other classes of drugs that I've observed to uh, be especially deadly. Before I do that, I'd like to share with you a, a data source. In other words, a source of information that helps us get at this number of how many Americans really every year might be dying from taking medications. And for this, we need to go to the Food and Drug Administration. And Food and Drug Administration has a FAERS system. Yes, it's the FDA Adverse Event Reporting System, different from VAERS, which is for vaccines, a whole separate system for reporting vaccine adverse reactions. And we won't even discuss those today. But what we're going to discuss is what the FDA is aware of. Okay, this is as of December 31st, 2013. Yes, 2013. And the number, what the FDA tracks is reports of serious events 
And serious means hospitalization, life-threatening, disability-producing, causing a congenital anomaly, or other serious outcome. And they track death. So what's the story? Story here is that in 2013, the latest year for which numbers are available, 117,752 Americans are believed to have died as a result of adverse drug reactions. Now, these deaths are considered to be unintentional. That means the person taking the drug did not intend to commit suicide. And these are for pharmaceutical drugs, not for illegal or street drugs. Now, the figure for street drugs, just to give you a little comparison, uh, is believed to be somewhere around 10,000 deaths per year. And that includes your um, heroin, cocaine, and other illegal drugs. So that you can see the death toll from pharmaceutical drugs, just as reported to the FDA, is more than 10 times that for illegal drugs. All right, very, very important. What else do we know? Well, this figure of 117,752 as recorded by the FDA is a lot larger than it was in the year 2004. So in 2004, there were only 34,000 deaths due to pharmaceuticals. And this is 34,000, 40,000, 37,000, 36,000. Pretty much sputters along until 2008. 2008 is a jump to 49,000. And so from 2007 to 2013, a paltry six years, the number of deaths due to pharmaceuticals tripled. What happened in 2007 or maybe 2006, 2007, that could possibly account for the sudden upturn in deaths from pharmaceutical drugs. One might say, if the deaths are due to pharmaceutical drugs, it might correlate with the availability of pharmaceutical drugs. Well, let's take a look and see if something happened in or around 2007. If we take a look, then we find that yes, indeedy, there was a big event that in 2003, the government passed something called Medicare Part D. Yep, Medicare Part D. Now, Medicare Part D, D stands for drugs, means that the medications would now be covered by special rider or insurance under Medicare. So drug was passed, the law was passed in 2003. In effect, in 2006, enrollments began in 2007, and we saw the spike in deaths in 2008. And so, covering these deadly drugs by insurance has an association with, maybe not cause and effect, don't know, because we don't have a whole lot of information on this, but we do have some, uh, a tripling of the number of deaths. And so, that's a lot of deaths. So the number of deaths has tripled, and the U.S. population has not tripled, no, has not tripled since 2007. So this is really um, alarming. Then, if you take the next step as to what's going on, is Medicare is now penalizing people who don't sign up for Part D immediately. So if you're a retiring individual and become eligible for Medicare, 
you do not get the drug prescription coverage out of the gate, then the federal government has authorized insurance companies to increase your premiums by 1% per month over what their normal rates would be for the pharmaceutical coverage piece. Because what this does is it intimidates people into signing up for Medicare Part D and being exposed to this serious medical hazard called prescription drugs. So we're going to wait and see what the future holds, but I'm guessing that this increase in deaths related to pharmaceutical drugs will continue to, to grow. Now, I will say uh, 2011, it was 98,000. 2012, 118,000, 10,000 increase. In 2013, only 117,000. But we still don't have the numbers for 2014. So we'll see how this plays out and if things are going to continue to increase or if they're going to level off. So what we have going on here then is, is a trend uh, vastly increasing numbers of people who are being exposed to pharmaceutical drugs and death by that cause. Now, what did I observe? Well, during my medical training, uh, deaths due to prescription drugs taken as prescribed were not from narcotics. Now, in addition to training at a tertiary care highly specialized Ivy League medical school located in the inner city where supposedly there are lots of drugs, um, we had zero narcotic deaths. None. Um, possibly it might be because these patients who are taking drugs as prescribed, like say sleeping pills, were possibly dying in their sleep and were clearly dead in the morning, so maybe they went straight to the uh, coroner instead of stopping by the hospital. But this is what I did observe. And again, this is not reflected in this list of uh, 10 most deadly drugs. Now, a lot of times when shocking articles like this are done, in the mainstream media, exposing something atrocious. Usually, uh, it appears there in order to conceal something even more disturbing. So what did I observe as uh, a person attending medical school, doing a residency, practicing medicine? What I found was that people who came to the emergency room and ultimately died were on blood pressure medications. This was the number one killer of people during medical school and residency and even in my private practice. Um, at the end of every year in my private practice, I would review you know, uh, who died, what did they die of, what could have been done differently or better so I could have uh, a better year the following year. So my first year in practice, uh, I had two or three deaths. But still, I figured, let's review these. Maybe I can improve on them. Well, these people were all fully diagnosed. They were taking medications according to the standard of care and uh, one or two I even sent to the specialist to get an opinion to make sure I had them on the best possible regimen according to their condition and diagnostic uh, results. And so I was very uh, troubled to see that without exception, the people who died were on drugs and fully diagnosed. You would think that other people in the practice, many people who had refused diagnostic tests or who had refused medications, that that's where the deaths would be. But no. 
people with fully medicated died. The second year of medical practice, I noticed the same thing. I said, wait a minute, this is a problem because I had several thousand people in my medical practice, and why is it that only the ones taking medication died? It's a very small number, but still, the fact that unmedicated patients were not dying, but medicated patients were, it occurred to me, possibly, could it be the medications? And so I, um, the other thing I noticed is these patients more than half of them were on blood pressure medications. The culprits uh, in my medical practice, beta blockers and water pills. That seemed to be, those are the biggies. Now, if you read the package insert on your blood pressure medicines, you will see that calcium channel blockers also carry a label indicating that they cause sudden death. Yes, sudden death. So even though um, calcium channel blockers do cause sudden death. I did not notice in my medical practice that that was the drug, the blood pressure medication people were taking. All right. So blood pressure medications, the number one killer. Now, what, do you, what evidence can we find for this if we just go uh, scouting around? Well, it turns out that There's this big controversy in the medical uh, community, um, consternation, confusion, concern. We check out the American Heart Association, they kind of summarize it for us. This is a statistical fact sheet 2013 update high blood pressure. So in the United States, one out of every three adults has high blood pressure. All right, got it. 74.9% are under current therapy for it. In other words, they're taking drugs. All right, got it. However, high blood pressure was listed as a primary or contributing cause of death of 348,000 Americans in 2009. And on the death certificate, it was the cause of death in 61,000 Americans. But there's a problem. From 1999 to 2009, the death rate from high blood pressure increased. And the annual number of deaths rose by 43.6%. So let's be clear. From 1999 to 2009, more people were diagnosed with hypertension, more people were treated for hypertension, but the proportion of the population that had hypertension did not increase. So if we do the math, we take the 61,000 deaths, and that's a 43% increase over the prior we then find that 18,700 deaths can be attributed to the increase in hypertensive therapies. That would be 18,000 deaths per year from hypertensive therapy. Now this is from, again, using American Heart Association figures of the increase in deaths from hypertension over a period of time where increasing numbers were treated without the actual frequency of the disease going up. Um, now, the most generous conclusion you would have to draw is that treatment of hypertension is not effective in prolonging the life of a person who suffers from hypertension. So that's the minimum conclusion you have to conclude. So as treatment goes up, death rate goes up, frequency of the disease stays the same, then uh, there's trouble in Sparkle City. Let's take a look at, at another um, report. This is again the um, Huffington Post. This is blood pressure medication use 
is up in the United States, says the CDC. So, CDC concurs, and this is um, October 27th, this is 2010. So, CDC says more American adults are aware they have high blood pressure and more are taking medications to control it. Yet, the proportion of U.S. adults with high blood pressure has actually been steady at about 30% for a decade. Um, this might surprise people, um, and but they say it's a number of factors to explain it. But the problem is the percent aware of their high blood pressure is improved. Um, the amount taking blood pressure medication is up to 74% from 60%. And the problem is the death rate is up. And so let's take a look at what they're telling the doctors. So this is medicine.net.com and it says United States deaths due to high blood pressure keep rising. And then this is from the CDC, this is March 26, 2015, and they say the overall death rate from high blood pressure in the United States has increased by 23% since 2000, even as the death rate from all other causes has dropped 21%. And so the issue here is more and more people are being treated for this condition, yet the people dying is escalating uh, tremendously. And of course, the obvious uh, culprit would be the medications that these people are taking. And although this is might be a consolation to those of you out there who are anti-discrimination, it says although the overall number of deaths related to high blood pressure was still higher among blacks and among whites and Hispanics, the gap between them narrowed according to the report. Well, in other words, the death rate among whites is rising and the death rate among Hispanics is rising to equal that among blacks. Not exactly good news. You know, no matter what your complexion is, it's not a good thing to be killed by your drugs. So, again, the problem here is... I think, the standard of care. And so let's see what else uh, we have to say about this. That's about it for hypertension in terms of what uh, the numbers are. But my observation is that it's definitely a up there, uh, number one killer, uh, blood pressure medications, just by my observation. So what's the next highest category? So in other words, what does this mean? This means if you have a diagnosis of hypertension and you choose to address this hypertension with medications, one, your life expectancy is not going to be improved. Can't be. Not if increased treatment is associated with increased death. So, you know, you got to take a look at that. Again, these are the CDC numbers, CDC figures. <laughs> I didn't do the research. I don't make it up. So if, you, if you're diagnosed with hypertension, it doesn't make sense to address it with medications because the medications are associated with an increased death rate. So according to CDC, more people are being treated more people are being die, are dying and at a faster rate. So what should you do? Well, you should take a look at what really is hypertension and what causes it. Well, 
Hypertension means the amount of pressure in your blood vessels is higher than what is healthy. Why is that? It's because your heart is trying to send blood to your brain and your kidneys. So your brain and your kidneys are literally starved for nutrition and oxygen. So what should you do? Well, you should try and get more blood to your brain and to your kidneys. There you go. So how should you thin your blood? Answer, not with available medications because we can see they're not working. So how do you do that? Answer, with water. Drink water. Water is the universal solvent. Thins your blood and gets it flowing. So one thing, increase the water intake. Next thing, what do you do? You stop eating foods that contain chemicals because the chemicals are difficult for your body to remove from the blood and they create a thickness to your blood interfering with the circulation. Yes. So those are two super simple steps. And if you take those steps the first time anyone tells you your blood pressure is up, chances are great it will come down. And if you're on medications and you like to substitute natural methods for those, you can go to my website, vitalitycapsules.com, click on Discovery Sessions at the top if you'd like a one-on-one -on -one session, or you can also click Radio Replays and listen to the episodes on the um, heart disease hoax. So blood pressure medications, my observation is they are the number one killer, even ahead of the sleeping pills. So this calculated uh, kill rate using the American Heart Association numbers is more or less 18,700, which is more than the 15,000 estimated in the Huffington article for the narcotics uh, and pain class. And that fits uh, what I observed. So what was the next highest uh, killer. Blood thinners. Um, the two blood thinners uh, in this category were heparin and coumadin. Huge. Um, what's the problem here? Well, it turns out that heparin and coumadin are believed to be dangerous by the medical profession. So the reason your doctor has you get a blood test every two weeks it's because they are so dangerous. In other words, the therapeutic dose, the amount of medication needed to treat a person, is very close, almost equal to the lethal dose. So what is a lethal dose? Well, for this we have to go back to medical school curriculum. A lethal dose is the dose at which half of all people who take it will die. That is the lethal dose. And so if the standard of care is recommending that a medication be dosed at an amount that's close to the lethal dose, then you can expect, of course, that somewhere close to 50%, but less than 50%, of those taking that drug will actually die from the drug itself. That's the unfortunate uh, truth because the lethal dose is defined as the dose which is deadly for 50% of those who take it. And so in medical school they told us heparin and coumadin are blood thinners, they're very important, they save people's lives, but the therapeutic dose and the deadly dose are very close, often equal. Therefore, we do very frequent blood tests to monitor them. But, again, if you think of this logically, what we doctors are trying to do is we're trying to keep the dose we prescribe to the patient below the lethal dose. So we're going to keep it low enough that it does not kill 50% of those who take it but maybe it'll only kill 40% of those who take it. 
So this does not by any means indicate that the dosing of the drug is safe. It's not. It's not safe because the deadly dose doesn't mean the dose that's deadly for this person. So the lethal dose is defined as a dose that kills 50% of those who take it. And then we doctors are told that we want to stay below the lethal dose. And the lethal dose, of course, is a useless concept for any one particular patient. And so if we know that a lethal dose is at a particular level, and when you're talking about heparin or cumbin, um, we talk about a PTT or PT, these are blood tests, and certain levels of these are associated with a certain percent of death. And so what we do then as doctors as we are trained to stay at those levels um, so that the number of patients who die from these drugs is below 50%. And so if you're taking a blood thinner such as heparin or coumadin, then the chances of that drug killing you are very close to 50%. So what's a person to do? Golly geez. Again, first thing is not to get started on them. That is numero uno. Because once you get started on these drugs, it's dicey to stop them. So what can you do if your doctor has told you you have a life-threatening condition, you've got to take a blood thinner, what do you do? Well, first of all, disclaimer, this is not medical advice. I may be a doctor, but I'm not licensed. And should you decide to act on this, I, of course, accept no responsibility, liability at all. It's on you. However, if you do what your doctor says and you drop dead, that's on you too. So, you know, listen up. So, blood thinners. Universal thinner, water. Yes, that's number one. Number two, there are many herbs that thin the blood profoundly, such as vitamin C, cayenne pepper, ginkgo biloba, garlic. Turmeric. These five are powerful, powerful blood thinners. Used together, they can thin the blood every bit as much as heparin or cumin. And yes, you could kill yourself, but don't do that. So what you can do then is you can start with water, my favorite. Then I would recommend adding vitamin C, until your bowels become loose, but not diarrhea. Then, from there, you can add some garlic. Now, now it's where it gets interesting. So, if you start bleeding when you brush your teeth, or you notice you bruise easily, your blood is plenty thin. You can stop right there. In fact, you can even reduce the dose a bit. Then you just creep, 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 and you can add ginkgo, um, add turmeric if you need to. Most people don't need to go any further than water, vitamin C, garlic, cayenne, ginkgo. You may need uh, to add to that, but I've never seen it. So... Blood thinners, they are incredibly deadly, incredibly deadly, and designed to be so. That's the way the algorithm is written. The standard of care is written that the dose of blood thinners to be given is very close to the lethal dose, which by definition is a dose that kills 50%. And doctors are advised to go up to that dose and back down just a little bit. And so, again, that gives you a death rate somewhere under 50%, which is pretty horrific. Okay, what there's heparin and coumadin. 
Diabetes medicines, another one. This shocked me tremendously. You know, uh, diabetes is defined as an elevated blood sugar. I mean, blood sugar is a little bit hot. All right, I got that. I can go for that. But what I did not understand was that it was possible with drugs to bring the blood sugars so low that even in the hospital, pouring syrup in somebody's veins, their blood sugar would not go up and they would just die. When I saw that, I said, whoa, wait a minute. This is a bit more than I bargained for. I am not interested in killing people. So as a, uh, actually as a medical resident or medical student, made my last year in medical school, uh, this person was admitted to the hospital, and I was uh, on a hospital rotation, so I saw this person, this guy was alive, and so my question was, well, what's wrong? He seemed pretty alert, he walked, he talked, and his problem was that he had been receiving oral diabetic medication, that means pills. And these pills had suppressed his liver to the point where it could not release glycogen and could not maintain a blood sugar level. So he was admitted to the hospital and given D5, that's 5% sugar, in his veins. They increased it to D10, that's 10% sugar, in his veins. And his blood sugar still kept going down, 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 went down to, uh, I think, three was our last measure, and, of course, he died. And to me, that was absolutely stunning. And so I made up my mind that as a practicing doctor, I wasn't going to do that. Now, what evidence do we have that this is going on, that diabetics are dying of their medical therapy and that it is killing them. Well, first of all, uh, we can take a look at the United States death uh, statistics, and these are uh, kept by the um, United States. Health Department, or I should say um, CDC, and they let us know just what people are dying of. Okay, so annual causes of death in the United States for the year 2013. I'm shocked at how far behind they can stand these numbers, but anyway, I digress. So deaths due to diabetes, 75,578. Not, not bad. But you think there's actually more people every year dying of diabetes. Closer to 125,000 diabetics die every year. But they're not dying of diabetes. What are they dying of? Well, 25,000 are dying of accidents. And I don't mean car accidents, yes. So when a diabetic person takes a dose of insulin that proves to be fatal, it's classified as an accident if it's deemed unintentional, and it's classified as a suicide if it's deemed intentional. So literally, um, these diabetes mellitus deaths, 75,578, are actually severely undercounted. The Possibly another 30,000, at least 30,000, uh, are caused by the medications themselves. And because of the classification process, these people are counted as suicides. In fact, if you go on the website of the American Diabetic Association, they will say the accident rate among diabetics is astronomical. And so they're trying to sort through why all these accidental deaths among diabetics. There is a consensus that the blood sugar is going too low is the immediate cause of death. 
And of course, why are people accidentally dosing themselves in this way? Is it because they can't read their insulin syringe? I don't think so. Um, there is a study uh, done uh, on diabetics and blood sugar control indicating that people with a hemoglobin A1C below 8, or 8 or below, have an increased death rate of 30%. 30% when their diabetes is treated with drugs or medications of any kind. So we have here basically 30,000, 30,000 potentially deaths of diabetics from overdoses in their medication. Now, what other evidence do we have that this uh, diabetic medication overdose is an issue? As many of you know, I, I practice medicine in Syracuse, New York, and I lived in Syracuse until 2008. And so I have a brother who's diabetic, and he watches his numbers pretty closely. And so what he does, he eats what he wants, and then he takes or less, whatever insulin it takes to bring things back to normal. And so I happened to be at his house one time uh, when he had given himself too much and had passed out. So, of course, we called the ambulance. The ambulance came, and the ambulance attendants, uh, you know, were assessing him. So it's pretty obvious to me his blood sugar is pretty low. They did a blood sugar stick and sure enough it was pretty low. I think it was like 8 or 10. And so I said to them, I said, hey, you guys get many calls like this? I said, oh my God, Dr. Daniels. We get so many calls from diabetics whose blood sugar is going too low. We get more of those calls than anything else. In fact, if we weren't getting calls from diabetics, we'd be out of business. Well, there you go. I think that pretty much says it. So they were able to give my uh, brother a fair amount of sugar on the spot, revive him, and didn't need to take him to the hospital. But if he hadn't had a house full of kids who would notice that he wasn't doing too well, then it might have ended a lot differently. So diabetic medications, huge, huge risk. How do you know you're at risk? Check your hemoglobin A1C. If it's 8 or less, then you are sitting in the bullseye. Yep, you Okay, so the next one, and again, during my training, boy, this was very frequent. People would bleed and bleed and bleed. It was incredible to see so much blood. And this was from arthritis medications. Way back when, in the dark ages, arthritis medications were prescription. Motrin, all of these things you needed a prescription for. Now, they're over the counter. But even back then, when they were prescription, um, people would take enough where they would start bleeding and they would literally just start bleeding out of their rectum, just blood, blood, blood everywhere. And obviously not everybody made it. Some people simply bled to death. In fact, if you read the package insert of your arthritis medications, it will tell you that bleeding is a possibility and some people do die. So uh, that was a real problem. And so how do you know you're taking one of those medications? For the most part, if your arthritis medication is not a narcotic, chances are it's in the category called non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. That's the euphemism for medication that can make you bleed to death and may or may not relieve your arthritis pain. So uh, what's the solution to this for people with arthritis? Well, first of all, immediately... Uh, use something topical like turpentine or Vicks Vapor Rub to relieve the aches and pains of the arthritis. Believe it or not, it works actually pretty well. In fact, many people say it works better than the pills do. So that's number one. Number two, of course, stop using these pills. But number three, 
Arthritis is definitely a dietary issue. Um, irrespective of what the Arthritis Association may or may not say. So you definitely want to cut out your dairy, cut out your meats, your sugar, and all of your refined products. And usually that plus drinking a fair amount of filtered water, distilled, usually brings that pain down to pretty manageable level and can actually make it go away. Again, you can visit vitalitycapsules.com and click on Discovery Session uh, if you want some advice or guidance with that. I can't help everyone, but I can uh, you know, help a few people and uh, we'll see what's possible for you. Next, the final category is sleeping pills. Now this is a death uh, source that I did observe in residency. Now as residents we were taught to practice medicine according to formulas and algorithms and standard of care. So whenever a person was admitted to the hospital you had to write standing orders for sleep in case they couldn't get to sleep for pain medicine, and the pain medicines cause indigestion. So you had to write for indigestion medicines. So these are standing orders for sleep medicine, pain medicine, indigestion medicine. And that way the nurse could give these pills as she wished within whatever parameters you wrote for. And I never did that because I would just examine the person when they were admitted and say, hey, either they need this or they don't. If they don't need it on admission, then if they do need it, there's a problem and the person does need to be evaluated to find out what the problem is. So in other words, if a person comes to the hospital without a fever, they get a fever, you shouldn't have the nurse just throw Tylenol at them for the fever. Instead, Somebody needs to come and check what the cause of that fever is. Anyway, what happened was this uh, really um, feisty lady, 87 years old, was admitted on a Friday night. Uh, I guess her family needed a break or something. They wanted to go on vacation or someplace for the weekend. Figured, okay, we'll drop grandma at the emergency room and pick her up on Monday. Happens a lot. So they drop her off and... Of course, she's used to being in her own home. And so here she is in this strange exam, um, hospital room, basically half naked with this ridiculous down gown that opens in the back. And of course, she becomes disruptive in the middle of the night, and they give her a sleeping pill. And she doesn't go to sleep, so they give her a second sleeping pill. She's still disruptive, so they strap her to the sides of the bed. And in the morning, the next morning when they come in, she's dead, of course. So this is a person who had nothing they could find wrong on admission and was now dead. Absolute tragedy. I think people don't realize when they bring their loved one to the hospital how dangerous it really is. I mean, unless you're really trying to kill someone and, you know, you're looking forward to an inheritance, it doesn't really make sense uh, to do that. And this happens a lot. Um, people who take sleeping pills, even younger people who take sleeping pills, they can take these sleeping pills safely, if you want to look at it that way, or without having uh, overwhelming problems. And when not, when they take it, that's just it. The body goes to sleep and doesn't wake up. So this is a very common, common event. And we're seeing more and more of this as younger and younger people are using sleeping pills. And now uh, sleeping pills are considered to be the solution for uh, jet lag and all kinds of stuff. And you know, I'm on the Internet. And I talk to other people who work on the Internet. And there's this fad of personal efficiency and productivity. And so what you do is you work, 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 work uh, through the night, and then you pop a sleeping pill to get some sleep. And 
and you can get even more work done, this is misguided and it can lead to an abrupt shortening of your lifetime. So what you need to do is realize the hazard is there and 880,000 Americans each year at least die at the hands of the medical industrial complex. You don't need to be one of them. Answer is live a drug-free life. Just like Nancy Reagan said, say no to drugs. And this 117,152 uh, deaths in 2014 report to the FDA as deaths due to adverse drug reactions. It's just the tip of the iceberg. This is only the documented death, not the undocumented death. And so, you know, think about that. And, you know, if you're on drugs for something, you know, go visit vitalitycapsules.com. Check out the replays. For every uh, affliction I cover, I offer some non-drug solutions. And if you want personalized attention with that, for that, you can click on Discovery Session. If you'd rather a group format, much more economical, you can check out Office Hours. So go to VitalityCapsules.com, click on the Office Hours tab so you can sign up for Office Hours. With Office Hours, we're adding a special bonus now where during each Office Hours session, I review a case from the archives, yes, a case from the archives of my medical records, my medical practice back in the 90s. I talk about what the affliction was and how it was handled naturally. Okay, well that's the end of our show today, which is Tuesday, November 3rd. And as always, think happens. <laughs>